Welcome back to the All Hallows School podcast, the place where we talk to staff, to parents and pupils to find out more about life at the school. Now, in this episode, we speak to assistant head Richard Kirby. Richard's about to explain how parents' views have changed over the years, how he goes about creating the school timetable, which is way more complicated than you might imagine, and the approach the school takes when the children are working online. I loved listening to Richard, and I think you will too. So come with me now, right into the heart of the school, as we speak to assistant head Richard Kirby. Richard, thank you for being here and welcome to this episode of the podcast. How are you today? Oh, I'm good, thank you. The end of the first day, coming towards the end of the first day back at school. It's been great to have all the kids back. School's very quiet without them, although you can often say you get a lot more work done when the kids aren't here. But it's good to have them back. They've all missed each other. They've been running around all day. And you've timed it well because I sit between two music practice rooms and the drums and the guitar practicing has just finished. Oh, I don't know. I, I think maybe a bit of an, a, an accompaniment there to our podcast recording could be quite fun, but maybe we'll need to save that for another time in that case. And Richard, I guess you've got one of those jobs in school where you where you get lots done during school holidays, whereas other teaching staff may well not be in school. And of course, they might have things to catch up on during the holidays themselves. But you've got one of those jobs where when the school is closed to the pupils, then you're still there for a good chunk of it. Is that right? Yeah, for, for some of the time, certainly. I mean, with, with IT, um, it never really ends. The, the only time you can actually do work, as you say, is, is when they're not here. We have an outside company who come and support us, who, who come down. They've been down for three or four days this holidays as well, just maintaining the network and making sure things are, are working as they should. And, and I guess as well, it's one of those jobs where if things are working as they should, then in the nicest sense, people don't really, people don't really know about you because it's all working. It, I guess it's when it's not working that, that they kind of give you a call because that's when there's some kind of problem. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously one of, one of my hats here is, is IT and... Um, yeah, you're right. When it's when it's working, that that's how it should be. It's what people expect nowadays, especially um, with technology as it is now. If we go back 20 mm. years ago, and you're on a, a dial-up modem and you're you're waiting, and things like Netflix and so on were a word that had never even been invented, then IT was very different then. Nowadays, it's just expected to be there and it's expected to work. So uh, that's that's our challenge. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast episode right now will remember those days of dial-up, even if, the, even if their children have no idea uh, what dial-up was and how slow that used to be, but how patient we used to be as well, I guess. But Richard, you mentioned that, that that's one of your hats. Just tell us a bit about, about that hat that you wear, but then about what other hats you also wear for school life. Yeah, so my, my title is assistant head. I'm responsible for IT. I teach IT from years five and upwards and I also do lots of work around the school day I did a timetable every year this year I'm working with finance as well so I have that hat too we have the dreaded four-letter word GDPR which is all about data protection and how we keep data safe and secure staff are forever cursing me for making them use verification codes for this and verification codes for that and a, an authenticator app and so on but that's the world we, we we live in now and keeping data secure is probably one of the biggest things any company can do and as we've seen in the news many a time there's lots of companies that fail that that test 
Yeah, so. I, I did kind of just a tiny side story. I did have a chuckle last weekend when I, I was with my mother and I was helping her move a few books around. She bought, just bought a new bookcase and she had a telephone directory from 1994. And I, I asked her why she had it and she didn't really have an answer. But it did make me wonder, you know, in this world of GDPR, back in those days, the default setting for having a telephone is that your number would be published to everybody, which now just feels a bit kind of absurd, really, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. There was there was there was no such thing as privacy laws. It was if you had a phone, you were in a directory, and and people wanted to be in a directory. X directory was the exception rather than the rule. In the same way that when you know when the internet came about, everyone created things and put it in MySpace and Friends Reunited and all these other websites that have already disappeared. And and nowadays our kids are growing up actually with a real idea around privacy and, and what that means to them and what is their data and and actually what their rights are with it which is a good place to be you know it's like with any fad to begin with everyone wants their stuff out there because it's publicity but actually then you realize not all publicity is good publicity and you start to rein it back and hopefully by by teaching the the kids about it that they don't start by putting everything out there to begin with but that's always the challenge especially when things are new and exciting because that's what you want to do and then you you want to try them and have a go. And you mentioned as well about GDPR. Do you find that the that the views of parents have changed over the years, just as people understand, you know, the importance of GDPR? Yeah, I mean, I think I think people are just far more aware of their data, of of what's theirs, and actually what what companies can and and shouldn't be doing with it. You know, our, our inboxes are constantly filled with spam, and you sit there and you think, well, where did that come from? I've had no connection with that company at all. But then when was the last time anyone actually read one of those terms and conditions that you just flick down the bottom and click on agree? Because tucked away in there will be the fact that they've shared your data with another company. And mm. no one's going to read the 44 pages. They're just going to click to the end and click on agree because that's the means to the end to get where they want to go. And yeah, you know, it, it, it does cause problems. I think people have multiple email addresses. I know lots of people have an email address for basically for their spam and then an email address they use that they don't ever sign into any websites or anything with just to try and keep it clean. But I think, you know, GDPR has certainly improved that because, as you say, it's an opt-in as opposed to an opt-out now, which makes a big difference, I think. Okay, and you mentioned about the timetable that you're, you're that you're in charge of there as well. Do you do that manually or is that software based these days? In the old days, it would be drawing pins and different colored drawing pins on a, on a pin board on the wall. Mm -hmm. I don't actually remember those days, but I've been told about them. For us, it's a piece of software. So it's, it's drag and drop. You, you set rules up for the software so that things can't clash and so on and so forth. And you, you basically drag and drop to try and make the best timetable you can, spreading lessons out evenly trying not to have say two languages on the same day if possible so that or they don't have PE and games or swimming on the same day as forest school because then they're mm -hmm. trying to carry too much stuff in uh, mm -hmm. their games bags are, are full enough as they are if you start throwing in wellington boots and joggers and tracksuit tops on top of that for forest school and a swimming costume mm -hmm. and, and everything else along with their musical instrument because they'll have a music lesson that day as well it comes for some quite hefty luggage they're carrying down the driveway 
Yeah. And are there options within the software to allow you to sort of prevent that kind of thing from happening? Are, are you able to say, you know, don't have music on the same day as Forest School? Yes, absolutely. So, so you, you can set it to say, well, actually, we don't want French and Spanish on the same day, or we don't want PE timetable on the same day as games or Forest School or swimming. And then you do your best to try and fit those pieces of the jigsaw around that. But it's not always possible. You know, there's other limitations because you you then also have the staff that are delivering those subjects, and so for example, some staff may be part time, some staff are full time, so you 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 lose some flexibility with with that as well, and it's just a case of literally trying to connect pieces of a jigsaw, and and you end up with a whole picture rather than little pieces that are stuck that you can't fit in, and that, and there's always there's always compromises to make. You you never have a perfect timetable. That, that just doesn't exist it's just it just physically can't there's always something that comes in the way or last year mm. for example covid came in the way so we'd already done a timetable for september and then in the early august we were a completely different school day with staggered mm. starts and and different lunches and different break times and suddenly that's a whole new timetable it's in, it's interesting isn't it because when you understand a bit more about how a timetable is put together i mean it it seems on the one hand like a fairly dare i say it straightforward thing that must happen and, and I, the only reason i say that is because I, I don't think that many people outside of school actually consider the amount of work that needs to go into creating a timetable so then when it does all get thrown up in the air because of something like covid and you get staggered start times it must be quite easy for people who aren't involved in creating a timetable to have an opinion of, oh, why don't they just do it like this? Or why don't they just do it like that? Without sort of understanding what the bigger picture is behind all of that. Yeah, no, definitely. It's an art. A timetable would tell you it's an art. Hmm. And it doesn't just happen just like that. And there's many examples of schools where they've come in on the first day and two classes have gone to the same classroom at the same time. <laughs> because the the, the the timetable hasn't quite worked in the the way it is uh, and, and schools are complex some schools have two-week timetables so they'll have a timetable for week one and a timetable for week two and and rotate it one school i worked in had a 10-day timetable but if they had a day off say for a bank holiday day one which would be monday and day six would be the following monday if the next monday was a bank holiday day one became the tuesday oh gosh Oh, <laughs> and then you carried on your 10 days. So, so that, that makes that, you know, there's all sorts of different ways schools mm. do it in order to try and fit a, what's already a crammed curriculum into a, a fixed amount of time. You know, lots of subjects that clamor for more time. The art teacher will want more art lessons. The game staff will want more game sessions. And we have 32 and a half hours a week to fit it in. You know, each year it changes. You you can't even regurgitate the same timetable because each year there's different demands on those times. So this year we've increased our games time, for example, and, and things evolve. So your timetable has to evolve with those with those times as well. Tell me why you've changed the amount of time that children spend doing games. Is that anything to do with COVID? I think that there's a. There's a variety of reasons. So we've increased it by half an hour. They, they basically have an extra uh, half an hour, which we tagged on to their hour lesson. One reason is often the amount of time it takes them to change. So when you have a one hour lesson and you've got to change before and after, hmm. that becomes a much shorter lesson. So if you can lengthen the time like we do on a Wednesday afternoon where we have two and a half hours of games, 
the fact that it might take them 10 minutes to change it at the beginning and 10 minutes at the end. And some of the parents will tell you it's 20 minutes. And then they've got to find their kit that they've left lying <laughs> across the floor and they inevitably go home with somebody else's kit. <laughs> you know, 20 minutes out of an hour lesson is a long time. 20 minutes out of two and a half is much less time. Mm. Therefore, they get more time actually out on the pitches. Mm. So just to extend one of them to one and a half hours means that they get a good slot to go out and practice those those skills. And, and you're, you're right, you know, in post-COVID times, actually exercise, getting out there, being able to run around, you know, play good quality sport and be with your friends is actually really important. You know, and coming back from COVID where people had been stuck at home, actually that physical exercise is a real big thing. We, 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 we put on at the end of COVID lots of after-school clubs that were mainly around sport and parents signed their children up for as many as they could uh, and that's simply because they'd spent two months stuck at home and even if they were doing sport it was individual sport it wasn't mm. team sport mm. they weren't you know you can't run around and play hockey necessarily in your back garden with eight mates mm. no, um, but no. you can go out on our astroturf and, and and have a good you know an hour session after school so partly led by that and partly led by the fact that being one of those subjects we've actually got to change before and after it means you get a bigger chunk of time to actually work with the kids let's talk about it for a second how have you seen it and computing yeah. change in schools over the years do you remember the bbc computer <laughs> i do with the orange <laughs> people sat and typed number 10 do this number 20 print and so on well that that was it when we were growing up and you had one computer in the in a well we had it in a corridor i think and we all took it in turns to go and play a game on it it's amazing when you talk to children now, you're talking about dial-up modems. I played them the sound of one in class because we were talking about the history of computers. And it sounds bizarre to be talking about the history of computers when you're talking about something from 30 years ago. Yeah. But they couldn't get their heads around the fact that if I had a dial-up modem and I was connecting to the internet, that no one else in my house could use a telephone <laughs> because I had to unplug the telephone to plug the modem in mm. to make that call to actually ring the internet, whereas now it's just on and there. So when you look at the speed of change and how fast things have moved forward, you know, the children at, children at our school who are 12 years old, they've only ever known an iPhone, an iPad, but the iPad was invented in 2009. So for us, it's it's new technology. For them, it's their entire life. Mm. So, and, and it's one of those subjects where realistically, often the children do know more than the adults and are certainly much more confident in using it. So for, for us and using IT around the school, actually it's for us to facilitate it rather than teach it because they're already grown up with it. They're, they're, they're what people will call digital natives whereas you and me are digital migrants. We had to move to the technology. You know, we didn't have touchscreens, whereas we grow up already knowing to swipe and unlock things and, 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 you know, unlock things with the face. Children, you watch them just stick their face in front of something to, to make it work. Whereas for us, it's completely novel. And I don't even consider myself as old, although the children will tell you I am. <laughs> so so it, it's a really fast-moving environment and one that actually the, the kids are really comfortable with and when you talk about covid their skills have gone exponentially through the roof because whereas we we, we as a school focus on many things and you know we're rural and outdoors and they spend a lot of time out in the forest and on the sports pitches and so on technology isn't always in their hands whereas 
we hit COVID and suddenly they were at home for six weeks. And now Microsoft Teams, you know, Zoom, sharing things, collaborating together, which are all things that none of them have done. Kahoot, quizzes, all of these things they've just picked up and run with. And, you know, it's been a really steep learning curve, both for us and them. But what's amazing is how quickly they pick it up and how confident they are with it. Uh, and our challenge going forward is how you actually take that confidence and build on it. One of the risks is as we go back to some sort of normality is that we then lose those skills that we we actually gained out of COVID because we're then going back to a different way of teaching in class where technology isn't used all the time. But actually it's about finding that balance so that you use it where it brings benefits and you don't use it just for the sake of using it. So tell me a little bit then about safety. And, you know, you mentioned about children being confident when they're using technology. And you've also mentioned about how you're very sensitive to looking after the data of, of everybody within a school environment. But how do, you, how do you ensure that children maintain their own safety when they're using computing? Yeah, so again, when we look back at the evolution of, of e-safety, when it started, it was e-safety. Then it became digital citizenship. Uh, and really now it's just about keeping yourself safe online in the same way as you would in, in the real world. And we teach e-safety, digital citizenship, whatever you want to call it, all the way from year one upwards. We hold seminars for parents because, again, lots of what they're doing online happens at home. Mm. We have a quite a restrictive environment here at school. You know, we have a firewall and we have monitoring software here that, that tracks what the kids do. Mm. They can't go to inappropriate websites. They can't search for certain things on Google, for example. It will actually send us an email if someone does. So we, we have that environment, but we don't restrict everything. Because if you if you say to someone, don't do that, if they don't know why you don't want them to do it, they're going to try and do it. You know, if you say to a kid, don't touch that, the first thing they're going to do is put their hand towards yeah. it. Because they want to know why you've said not to touch it. Whereas if you say, don't touch that, it's really hot, they'll think twice about it mm. because you've given them a reason not to touch it. So for us and our approach towards digital safety is actually, it's not about telling you you can't do something. It's about giving you the tools and the knowledge so that you can then make an educated decision as to what you do. And, it, and it's the same with parents. You know, if you've got children at home, then when is the right time? to get them their first mobile phone when is the right time to allow them to have a computer where do you put the computer in the house mm. what rules do you have because it's really hard to set those rules once they've already done it we start early with the children and we'll talk to them about things like instagram and tiktok and snapchat and all those other things but at an age where they're starting to come across it not at 13 because yes the app will say you have to be 13 but you tell me how many 11 and 12 year olds are using that technology. Mm. So we we try and introduce, not introduce them to the technology, but educate them about the technology before they come across it mm. so that they can then make educated decisions. And again, same with parents and seminars around them. Mm. There's, a, there's a whole load of uh, features on phones and tablets now that you can used to control how your kids use their technology a lot of the time it's used for behavior management at home you know the kids crying give them a tablet for 10 minutes they stop crying but then when you try and take the tablet off them then 
that's another flashpoint because they don't want you to take the tablet off them. Yeah, and actually what you've just done there is to manage their behaviour in a negative way. You've steered them towards actually using that technology so therefore when you try and take it away then it's but equally you know i'm, I'm saying this my own children are, are older now and so i don't have that problem I, I don't have the problem anymore of of having young children nagging me because they want to use that technology maybe they are a little bit immature for it but maybe they're saying all of my friends are using it i mean the, for people listening to this right now who've got young children in that situation is that is, is there anything you can offer to those parents who can, you know, who, who are facing that dilemma of whether to open up Instagram to their under 13 year old? I think for me, it would be you have to be open and honest with them, because as, as with everything when growing up, if you come across a problem and you haven't told someone that you're using it. So, for example, we'll say to the children, you know, if you've got an Instagram account, OK, that's you know you and your family's choice when you make that mistake as we all do growing up because we learn from our mistakes but when I made a mistake growing up I could go and say to mum look mum I've done this how do I fix it you know this child's really upset with me because I said x y and z if mum doesn't know or dad doesn't know you've got the Instagram account you've set it up because your friends have got one and you make that mistake and you say something online that you later regret because you've said it in the heat of the moment mm and you want to take it back and you don't know how, you can't actually go to mum or dad because the first thing they'll say to you is, well, I didn't know you had the Instagram account. Whereas what you really want them to say is, okay, well, how can we, you know, how can we help you fix it? Mm. So for parents to have that open and honest relationship with their children means that you're giving them an opportunity to come to you for support, mm. which is ultimately what, what we do as parents. We, we support our children. But it's also about knowing your child and saying, OK, well, you know, you know which children, which of your children you might let go out with their friends at a certain age and other ones you might say, well, actually, I'm not going to let them out for another two or three years. Mm. In the same online, you know, do you let them use it or do you say to them, well, you know, I don't think you're ready yet. And then when they are ready, you set the rules at the beginning. Mm. So they know that you're going to be their friend or you're going to follow them on Instagram or you're going to be, you know, able to check their phones when 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 needed. Because ultimately, if you haven't got that open dialogue between you and your child, they can't come to you for help when inevitably they make mistakes. Because children and adults, we, we all make mistakes and we all need someone to go to to help us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as a child, that's generally your parents. We, we often get children who come to us at school to say they've done something and they haven't necessarily told their parents because we often find out that actually the parents don't know they've even got that account. Yeah, I guess as well, there's an element of needing to lead by example as parents. And, you know, if, if we are the kind of parents where we're constantly staring at our phones, then we can't really blame our children if they're following our example and doing the same thing. Richard, I'm conscious of time. We need to bring this episode to a close in a minute. If anyone's heard anything, though, and they had any concerns about about computing, about security, about GDPR, about anything else that we've been talking about, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, for parents at our school, they've all got my email address. We've got a load of resources on our parent portal about setting up security settings on your home routers, about family sharing on iPhones and iPads. There's loads of resources on our portal. They're always welcome to catch me in the playground. I'm often out there in the mornings and the evenings. 
Um, now I'm not on my car park duty after COVID, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm around and about for a chat. And again, we hold regular seminars. Come along to them, have a listen, and just ask. Because ultimately, as I said, we're all migrants. We're all learning. And ultimately, what we want to do is support our children as they learn through the minefield that is online. Awesome. Well, look, Richard, thanks very much. Thanks for your time. And thanks for explaining everything that you do and the care that you take over the children at school. Thank you. No problem. So that was Assistant Head Richard Kirby. Thank you, Richard, for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Whoever knew that so much went into creating things like a school timetable? Now, our next episode is coming out soon. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.